Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast now in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show, committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And might I ask that support for WFHB comes from listeners like you and Community Voices for Health in Monroe County, who invite you to participate in Your Voices, Our Future, Transforming Community Health Decision-Making, via Zoom on Thursday, October 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This will be an evening of discussion and deliberation about health issues, ideas, and solutions among community members and decision makers in Monroe County. Registration information is available through eventbrite.com by searching for Community Voices Monroe County. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. The second Monday of every October will be known as Richard Gordon Hatcher Day across the city of Gary, replacing the controversial Columbus Day holiday. The Gary Common Council voted 8-1 to one on Tuesday, February 16th to make the calendar change official for city employees. Hatcher died on December 13, 2019 at the age of 86. Cities across the country have been renaming Columbus Day for years to protest the brutal treatment of Native Americans by Christopher Columbus and European settlers and to celebrate instead Indigenous Peoples Day or People's Day. Now, Councilman Michael Brown of Gary said this flips Columbus Day on its head and honors Hatcher in alliance with what a lot of communities have done, he states. Then it becomes a history lesson, Brown said, noting Hatcher paved the way for countless other Black men and women including himself, and propelling them to public office. Hatcher was a great man, and he did great things. And I wouldn't be the first African-American clerk in the state without Hatcher, said Brown, who served as Lake County clerk until joining the council. Hatcher was just 34 years old when he was elected in 1967 to lead Gary. He and Cleveland's Carl Stokes together became the first Black mayors of major American cities when they both took office on January 1st, 1968. The five-term mayor led the Steel City until 1987, navigating through racial tensions, white flight, and a shrinking, excuse me, a shrinking steel industry amid a crumbling housing stock and loss of downtown businesses. In addition to Brown, Hatcher paved the way for Black politicians like former President Barack Obama and Mayor Karen Freeman Wilson, who was the state's first Black female mayor. State Representative Reagan Hatcher of Gary, one of Hatcher's three daughters, shared these sentiments concerning her father. I think we all are very happy that the city and the council will be recognizing him on a yearly basis for all his achievements. She joins us now on Gary's inaugural Richard Gordon Hatcher Day to share reflections on her father's life as a politician, as a father and husband, and some insight to what his motivations were for seeking elected office during a turbulent time in America. Representative Hatcher, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's so uh, great to have you on, and uh, of course, I have the uh, privilege of saying that I knew you when you were born. Uh, <laughs> our, our families are, are somewhat connected, and my father delivered uh, your siblings, and as well me, as you, and you as well. Yes, I'm included in that. 
Now, that didn't give me any free parking in Gary, but uh, it's just something <laughs> I like to reflect on myself. Um, I noticed the vote uh, to to sort of make this official by the city council. It was eight to one. And I, I'm thinking surely no one had any dissension to this particular legislation. No, absolutely not. And the one vote, Ron Brewer, uh, he was determined to have the day celebrated on dad's birthday, which is July 10th. Um, when the opportunity came up for Columbus Day, because the city was redoing its calendar, um, they were giving employees more days off uh, because of the financial condition in the city currently. Um, Columbus Day just seemed like a, the perfect fit to replace it, uh, to replace something like Columbus Day, something that has been always a um, uh, not a celebration in the African-American community with something like a Richard Gordon Hatcher Day, it seemed appropriate. So so he was just as adamant about changing and having a Richard Gordon Hatcher Day in Gary. It was just a difference of opinion on when it should be. I understand. And so some felt that it should have been his birthday as opposed to Columbus Day. But yet that Columbus Day is, is a befitting day, as you said, to sort of erase, if not to shed more positive light on a day such as today. Absolutely. Uh, William? Uh, hi, Reagan. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let you know, Clarence's dad didn't deliver any me or any of my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> he delivered so many kids and Gary. Yeah, he did. The, the, <laughs> leg- the legendary we Dr. Boom. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you if you ever felt like uh, you were growing up in your father's shadow. Um. Well, I was born in 1978. And so by that time, dad had already been mayor for about 10 years. But what I got to see as a teenager, I guess, what were the things that he did after being mayor. So when he uh, stopped being mayor in 1987, I was about 10 or 11. After that, and I'm sure there were some exciting times that I missed during that, but after that, he did even things that were more amazing to me. Uh, he was the found one of the founders of a group called Trans Africa, and they traveled back and forth to South Africa and actually uh, was the group that freed Nelson Mandela and then went back to Africa and was the group to help rewrite the South African Constitution. Um, he taught at Harvard for a number of years. He taught at Oxford in England for a number of years. So. I got to see all of the things that his tenure as mayor led him on to do later. Um, I never felt like I was in his shadow. He never let us, and I have two younger sisters, he never let us feel that way. The All I remember, even as a kid growing up, was that he taught us that we could do anything and we could be anything. And, you know, he didn't say, hey, look at what I did. I was able to complete this. I was able to do that. He would say things like, as a woman in the new era, you all will be able to not only do all the things that I was able to do, but even more. So it was never like we were trying to get to where he was. He was always encouraging us to do more than what he did. Well, did he share his politics uh with you and your siblings growing up and if so what what was that like <laughs> well as we were growing up of course um you know we understood the black power movement the civil rights movement um you know jesse jackson and his family lived right across the way in chicago and so there were a lot of uh, those kind of gatherings and, and, and things but as we got older 
the three of us are all lawyers. And so as we got older, those dinner table conversations would get pretty heated. Let me tell you, we would have some really um, interesting conversations about not just politics and Gary, but politics in America and uh, the movement in what direction politics should go and the people who should be elected and and how those people get elected. And so we were always on the same page. I think Rachelle, Renee, and I were always about the new way of getting there um, when dad was still kind of in those 60s civil rights movement sit-ins and marches. So it, it was a difference in tactic, I think, that we argued about most. But all of the time, we all wanted to, we were all trying to get to the same goal, which is equality for everyone. Okay. You know, you know, I, uh, I, I think of just his caliber of a person and, and uh, wow, um, he was well known throughout the country, if not around the world. And when the phone would ring and back then it's, you know, the children are answering the phone. I'm sure you all answer the phone and it may have been somebody on the other end that you may have been reading about in some That's such uh, a funny newspaper. story about that. That's such a funny story. So I have, my best friend when I was in elementary school was at the house. And so we were at the house together and, uh, and Jesse Jackson called. And so she, she had answered the phone. She answered the phone and it's like, you know, this is Jesse Jackson for, uh, can I speak to Dick Hatcher? And she was like, no, it's not. And she hung up. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was just hilarious. And, and he called back and I think, you know, she did it again or something, but it was just funny because you're absolutely right. That's exactly the kind of things that would be going on or, or we would come home from school and in our downstairs, it would be these, you know, national leaders who might have been coming through Chicago and just had to stop over and say hi to dad. So um, it was a super uh, just it was just kind of amazing. It was it was just it was weirdly normal uh, in the house to have those kind of things happen. That's a new one. Weirdly normal. <laughs> Weirdly normal. Yes. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was. It's probably a sense of uh, pinching yourself, saying, "Is this really happening?" Or, but then you were you were no doubt used to it because all around the community, at church and school, wherever, people knew your father and the significance Absolutely. of him uh, being there. Um, I, I have a story that I, I love to share, okay. and I don't think I've ever shared this with you. But uh, back when he was elected mayor, it was uh, I guess the uh, election eve and. You know, the polls were beginning to close at six o'clock. And for some reason, I noticed my mother, she had a legal, yellow legal pad of paper in okay. the living room with a transistor radio. And of course, the only station was WWCA. Mm-hmm. And um, she was listening to the returns. And she okay. had begun to write out all the precincts. And she began to write totals in as the night progressed. Wow. Until then, when the race was called, Everybody in the house was shouting, jumping up and down. And then I believe people were marching down. Well, not marching, but just, oh, right. just collected in downtown yeah. on Broadway. And it's uh, we knew it was a new day. It was a new day in our city and I think surrounding communities and around the country. Because uh, uh, as we read, you know, Carl Stokes in Cleveland, uh, the same uh, phenomenon was taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it feel like? What did it feel like going to school? You mentioned you were in school then and, and your, your best friend in school. When it came to those days when you had to present on famous people, <laughs> I mean, this was e- this was an easy one for you. <laughs> you know, before you answer that, before you answer that, let, let me interject real quick. Please don't tell me you went to Roosevelt. 
Yes, of course. They're the only suit. No, no, no. Did not go to Roosevelt. No, <laughs> that is so funny though. But I did grow up in Midtown, and so um, uh, no, I went to Westside. And I'm just gonna say this too, and you know, no shade to Carl Stokes in Cleveland. But dad was elected first and Carl Stokes right. took office first. So I'm just going to okay. throw that All out right. there. Okay. <laughs> we can have that first, that first uh, nation. But um, it was interesting uh, going to school because, like I said, dad stopped being mayor when I was about 10 or 11. And so he ran again, though, and did not win. And so um, it was pretty contentious in school. And I know you think about it and you're like, oh, you know, everybody knew you and but there were different feelings about dad in the community um when dad took office in 1968 uh two or three years later uh, the white representatives from uh, the Maryville area which is now Maryville went downstate and eliminated that three mile buffer zone which allowed them to create the town of Maryville and so all those white people who were in Gary when dad was elected who did not want to live under a black mayor because remember he was the first black mayor of a major American city. Gary was a game changer for a number of other communities. And so they literally changed the law to have some place to go outside of the city when he became mayor. And with them, um, a number of those larger department stores left. And, you know, it's just that white flight phenomena. So, you know, when I'm 10 years old at school, and, you know, you have those white teachers still, they might've left Gary, but they're still driving in to teach, you know, that it, it could, it became a contentious situation, um, not just for me, but for my sisters. Now, dad was not going to let us not go to public school because, you know, he, he would just take us to school. He would walk us in every day and kind of dare them to bother us at school. But um, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. And I remember always feeling um, kind of isolated, you know, coming up through public school in Gary. Yeah. You know, that that's that's interesting. I'm still in shock that you said you went to Westside, but I understand. I forgive you. I mean, <laughs> you know, William, William's a, a grad of Westside. And, um, hey. you know, um, when your father now was mayor, I'm, no doubt he had a, a major hand to play in getting Westside built. Because Westside opened up in 1971, if I'm not mistaken, William. Yeah, it was that, that Somewhere around there. school. Yeah, right around there. And, uh, you know, at that time, the mayor appointed the school board. This was before mm-hmm. we did school boards here in Indiana and Gary. And so, you know, that was a big accomplishment for them to not just be able to have. And at that time, too, you know, the Gary School District was one of the most renowned in the country. And That's so, right. Um, you know, it was just an interesting time. And then they built Westside. And then in 92, of course, was the 1972 uh, Black Political Convention that was held here. So at Westside. So yeah. uh, Westside had some history with that for sure. Sometime uh, in the late 70s, then President Carter courted your dad to join his administration as a special aide. And and your father really didn't want to leave Gary. So he countered with uh, uh, an offer to work for one dollar a year and remain um, as mayor of Gary. Of course, that mm-hmm. that didn't all work out, and then he stayed in Gary. Did he share that whole thing with uh, with your family? And what what if so? If you don't mind me asking, what was the discussion like? 
Well, I wasn't there for it. Um, well, I was there, but uh, I was so little. You know, I don't, I wasn't in the room for the conversation, but dad had this real deep, and he wasn't even from Gary. You know, dad was from Michigan City. Uh, he came to Gary after law school, after he was a lawyer. Um, and so he wasn't from here, but somehow he he just forced this deep connection to the city. And so when uh, President Carter asked, him to move to Washington to work in his administration. And it was kind of like, it was a special assistant, but it was for that civil rights movement and the things that were going on with civil rights in the country. Of course, President Carter was always a very liberal and progressive president when it came to uh, racial issues. So he asked dad to come and dad just, he just could not leave Gary. And that wasn't his only wonderful offer. He had uh, the offer to teach full time at Oxford, even after he wasn't married anymore, the time to teach full time at uh, Harvard, even after he wasn't married anymore. And he just could not, he went for a year for both. And he just told him that's all he could give them. And he had to give back to Gary to continue, continue the work. Now, I don't know how mom felt about that. Uh, you know, she, she probably would have been happy going to Washington and, um, <laughs> and, and having that uh, kind of life, but um, Dad wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Well, the the voice you just heard, uh, eloquently speaking of, of Richard, and the voice of State Representative Reagan, he's joining us on Gary's inaugural Richard Gordon Hatcher Day, which is today. Uh, it replaces Columbus Day for the reasons we talked about earlier, and she shared reflections on her father's life as a politician, as a father. Uh, as a husband, and some insight to what his motivations were for seeking elected office during a turbulent time in America. And, and if I could just um, offer this, or just offer my observation, then ask this question. He was not born in Gary, but he was born in Michigan City. Mm-hmm. Um, how, did he, how did he migrate to Gary, Indiana? Yeah, so that's a kind of an interesting story. So dad uh, was born in City. He went to high school there, Elston High School in Michigan City, and he went to uh, Bloomington, actually, IU Bloomington, on a football and track scholarship that got him through his four years uh, in Bloomington, came back to Michigan City and uh, commuted to law school at Valparaiso University. And so after all of that, um, he left Michigan City and actually moved to Gary to work in East Chicago with uh Attorney Walker at the time, he had a law firm, a law practice in East Chicago, but that that's, that is how he got to Gary. And he lived mm-hmm. in Marshalltown uh, probably for the first 10 or 15 years that he was here and then ended up in Midtown a bit after that. But uh, it was really for a job. He came here to work. He came to Gary to work for a black lawyer who had a law practice here. That's interesting. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with politics. He did not get here based on politics at all. Okay, so at this point in your uh, political career, how much of your father's, um, I, I won't say values, but uh, like you mentioned earlier in the conversation that there was a little bit of a difference between how to uh, move forward, that your father was old school and you and your sisters wanted to yeah. uh believed in doing it a different way. What yeah. exactly were those differences? 
Well, you know, dad, uh, in the civil rights era in the sixties, of course, um, and being such good friends with Reverend Jackson over in Chicago there at that time. And, you know, the MLK style was peaceful sit-ins marches. And so even back when dad was, um, in high school, he organized a sit-in at a local, uh, like, like sandwich shop in Michigan city. So he was always, um, he moved in that non-violent, uh, peaceful protest kind of way. And so, you know, as things got more concerning in the community, so we talk about police, uh, abuse and, um, police shootings and those kind of things, you know, that was kind of came a little later when those things really had a focus. Um, back then it was so standard for that kind of stuff to happen. Newer today, it's a little different. And so, uh, Rachel, Renee, Renee, Rachel actually became a public defender in Cook County. And so that's what she is today still. My sister Renee, uh, she was the head of a civil rights clinic over in Chicago, where uh, she used different um, lawsuits to be able to adjust or correct civil rights violations. And so in their way, it was more about moving within the system to correct the injustices, just like I became a legislator. And so I went from the city council to Indianapolis. And so while dad kind of moved outside of the system in that way that they had to at that time, like they didn't have the option of calling their state representative and saying, Hey, I need a law to stop police from killing black people who are unarmed. They didn't have those kind of luxuries. And so um, today I think Rachel Renee and I kind of moved within the system to make changes uh, where dad was much more um, just, you know, they were just going to take it and they took it in a peaceful way, but they organized, they marched, they got people together, they shut businesses down, they um, boycotted, they, you know, they did the things that was the start of such a proficient civil rights movement, you know, here in America. And so it was just a different approach, I think. You know, if I could uh, just piggyback on uh, William's line of questioning, 68 was a very turbulent time. I mean, it's study our history, study civil rights and, uh, you know, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, all that went on, Megar Evers, all those things that went on. Did your mom ever worry about uh, your dad's safety? I think mom always worried, even after we were kind of out of that, um, that 60s and we were into the 70s. They got married in 76. Um, and I, I think it really wasn't until dad became, uh, was, wasn't was married anymore and started going around teaching and speaking and back, even his, I remember his back and forth to South Africa trips, you know, and she was even concerned about that because at that time they had just gotten a Mandela release. So they weren't a friend of the current establishment of South Africa. Then, you know, he comes back and he runs for president and he wins that and then they're back there, back and forth there. You know, I think she probably worried constantly. I don't even know what that could equate to. I don't know if that's like the wife of a police officer. I don't know what that would equate to in today's um, thinking, but probably the same way Coretta Scott King, she saw, uh, you know, Martin Luther King get assassinated. Um, probably the same way that Reverend Jesse Jackson's wife, Jacqueline, um, you know, worried about him when he was out traveling and 
remember, you know, the story about dad going down south in the early 60s and 64, trying to register people to vote, because that was when the, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act came out, 64, 65, but it was a new thing in the south. And so it's like, you know, you're going down there to help people or to watch the polls, but at the same time, you know, there's all these enemies coming that don't want these people to vote. And so um, I'm sure she worried pretty constantly. Yeah. We worried as kids. And so I'm right. sure she did. Uh, did you have, go ahead, Clarence. Well, I was, no, I, and when you said as kids, and I, I just have this thought, did you have uh, chauffeur-driven uh, limousines to take you to school? <laughs> so funny. Yes, that is, that is true. Uh, well, as, as when I hit fifth grade, mom was a teacher. She was a music teacher. And she started working at Banneker. And so... Uh, before where she would have to go to Williams school and dad would be going to city hall. Um, you know, we would get dropped off by dad in the limo because back then, you know, it wasn't like a Yukon like they have today. It was a limo, like a real, yeah, a real limo. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yeah, probably until about the fifth grade, probably until about fifth grade when mom started uh, working at Banneker. So she would take us to school after that. Okay. Yeah, that's a funny question. It's true, though. Now, if if I may piggyback off of Clarence's earlier question, I'm I'm assuming that you all had your fair share of crank calls, death threats, and security uh, issues that you had to incorporate into your lives. What what was that like? Um, Well, amazingly, we never, I I don't ever, and I was the oldest, Rachelle came five years after me. And so um, I never remember feeling scared for my own safety. I don't know if we should have felt scared. It's possible that we probably should have, but I think that had to do with that dropping off and picking up, um, you know, in the limo or by whoever was. Dad had, uh, you know, two people who were like his right hands when I was growing up, Lou Drinkard and C.C. Stevenson, two of people I will never forget, but I certainly remember Lou and Cece taking me to school, being there when I got out of school uh, to pick me up. And so I'm sure that was for a reason. Uh, You know, they didn't say, hey, we're here to make sure nothing happens to you. But even in high school, I remember I couldn't go to the parties. Uh, There was a place called Screaming Wheels. There was no way I was going there. Um, We were very close-knit. And I think looking back on that, it was because we kind of had to be. It was me, mom, dad, Rachel, and Renee. And I think, you know, we're so close still today because of that. You know, we do everything as a family. Um, There were very few outside people that kind of were participated in our day-to-day lives. You know, what, what, uh, you said you served on the Gary City Council and then ultimately ran for state legislature Mm -hmm. and you were successful. Um, what motivated you to walk in your dad's footsteps or, or was there this drive of your own that you wanted to impact and be a catalyst for change? You know, I don't know how it's hard to describe growing up with dad. It's just, it's hard to describe it. And mom, because mom was always that person who was just nice to everybody. She was just nice to everybody. And, you know, she never, no matter, you know, what the job, their job was or who they were, we just always got that from her. You know, you always be kind to everybody. And dad was the same way. While mom was over here being nice to everybody, dad was kind of fighting for everybody. 
And so kind of growing up like that, it's hard to not go into any public, some kind of public service. So like I said, my sisters who are not in politics, but we all became lawyers and the things that they do as a public defender or as a civil rights clinic operator, you know, they do the same thing just in different ways. And so I think we all got it. I think I was the only one who thought politics was the way to go because just think we all got to see dad go through all the things that he went through. And it's amazing because in Gary, you know, Gary, some people in Gary actually blamed him for white people leaving. Like, why did you have to become mayor? Because if we would have still had a white person as mayor, then uh, we might've still had our stores downtown. That's how backwards our thinking is sometimes because, you know, we're scared to make the moves that we know that we should be able to make or, or should have the same opportunities to make for fear of what might happen to us because of those moves. So they got to see that. We all got to see that. And so anytime I would travel with dad, one of us would usually always travel with him wherever he went, but they loved him everywhere else. Every, we couldn't leave the city of Gary without him being praised or honored or awarded. But here at home, it was completely different. And um, I think Rachelle Renee, we all kind of got to look at that and see that. And so they decided politics just was not for them. They did not want to go that route. And so I was kind of the only one that thought that that might be the way to go. I, I doubt my decision often, but I'm still working on it. Um, thank you for, for being open about that, because I've noticed uh, through the years, I, okay, I now lived in Bloomington more than twice as many years as I lived in my hometown of Gary. And when I attended school here in Bloomington at IU, uh, the comments about Gary, even from my friends from, of all places, Indianapolis, (laughs) I used to get the biggest kick because there's all the murder capital, whatever. But now it's like the roles are reversed. And and, and I don't hate them. I don't, I don't point nothing. I don't throw it in their face. But they have to remember there was a uh, dramatic sort of change in in the visions that people had for that city. Those that were successful business people uh, opted out out of fear, and they called yeah. it white flight. I mean, it was fear, yeah. and it's easy to armchair quarterback uh, years later to say this is why, this is why. No, but you have to now look at um, what was it that motivated those people to flee? Why? Why did? Yeah say U.S. still not be a better partner? Uh, why did not even say NIPSCO in some ways be a better partner? Uh, NIPSCO is Northern Indiana Public Service uh, Company, for those that don't know. Um, and, and our own paper, the Post-Tribune. Post-Tribune. Oh, yeah. Supposed to serve all of Northwest Indiana. And they were lo- today, remember, they were located in Gary. Located in Gary. Right located in Gary. Right there on Broadway. Uh, my mother and I now have conversations about, uh, and we laugh and chuckle about it. And I said, um, uh, you know, she'll show me the Gary paper, Post Tribune, and it's so thin. But then <laughs> the, the coverage is for outlying areas of the county. Yeah. And, and so that goes way back. There was this tension. There was this sort of concerted effort to minimize, undermine, usurp. But in spite of all that, we had stellar individuals come through Gary. And I always tell people, you know, I go through the, the Hall of Fame of, who grew up in Gary. Of course, everybody knows the Jackson Five, you know. Yeah. But, well, you know, there were others. There were football players or politicians Absolutely. or businessmen or women. 
uh, one big person, Clarence Boone Jr. I mean, you know, there were great people <laughs> that went through Gary. And, and, and I'm always it's, amazed. It's all just, and, you know, from White Flight to Nipsco to the Steel Mills, it's all rooted in this racism. Like, you know, that's what it all goes back to. And it's so funny because I was just talking to some friends and you look back at dad's time in 67 and then you look at today you know, we're talking more than 50 years later at this point and it's still racism it's still racism yeah. like we still we it's like we just can't get out of um i don't the grasp of it or the hold of it so when i go down to indianapolis and i have to explain to the other super majority republican rural representatives why Gary needs A, B, and C. First, I have to go back to the beginning and start to explain what happened in Gary and why Gary got to the point that it's at now and how we got where we are and how legislation over the years have has hurt the city purposefully by representatives that didn't even live, you know, changing or issuing special legislation for Gary by representatives who didn't even live in the city or represent the city, but they took it upon themselves to change the laws just for us. And so um, a lot of it, and even with people here in Gary, a lot of it starts with a history lesson, you know, um, you know, because educate our people who are the legislators that are downstate from Gary. I know that uh, Vernon um, um, Smith, Smith, is he still, is he still serving? Who else Vernon is serving? Smith? Vernon Smith is still serving uh, the Glen Park area, bit of the fourth district in Gary. Uh, I am in second, first, fourth uh, districts in Gary. And then we have Earl Harris Jr., whose father is the previous representative in that area, but he represents the west side of Gary over to East Chicago. Then we have State Senator Eddie Melton, who represents uh, all of Gary on the Senate side. And so... um, we have four. Now, you know, we just went through this redistricting process and that'll take me an hour just to talk about the underlying gerrymandering uh, racism that came out of that process. But they're stretching us all out further. So I my district went further into Hobart, uh, where, you know, it's quite possible that a Hobart Republican can end up representing part of Gary in the next election. Uh, Representative Vernon Smith's area went all the way out to St. John, um, where it could be the same kind of situation. And so as they piece up these cities into these pie-shaped things that stretch out into Republican territory, um, all they're doing is, of course, uh, we're losing representation in these urban areas. So it's, it's kind of nice right now. You know, speaking of gerrymandering, we won't get into it right now, but Clarence and I did talk about maybe asking you back to do a later show uh, to to get into that a little bit more. But I want to go back to what you said about everything having its roots and uh, roots in racism. But I remember uh, back when your father first uh, decided to challenge the the political machine at the time, all of the racism was coming from within. But now, uh, would you agree with me in saying that it comes more from downstate? Um, well, it's interesting. So when dad ran for mayor, he won the primary, uh, you know, the Democratic primary, probably when your mom was tallying up those precincts, you know, and they thought, hey, we're home free. We're in a Democratic city. We won the primary in May. 
November should be a breeze because, you know, we're Democrats. Everybody should walk in and, and vote Democrat. But what happened was from Lake County, the Democratic Party actually supported the Republican candidate in the general election in November. You know, because dad is no other reason except for that dad was black and he was going to make history as the first black mayor of a major American city. And so at that time, it was coming from within Gary, but it was also coming from the county and the state. Today, I, I would love to say that all our problems come from Indianapolis because that's an easy thing to, easy place to put it. And we can kind of lay the blame there. But what I learned when I was on the city council is that there is, there are people within the city of Gary who are Black who are so concerned about white people feeling like we are too um, uh, um, favorable to black people within the city that sometimes it's our own people who work against us the hardest and the most because they want to show that they're not, you know, um, they're not playing favoritism because somebody is black or white. And one place that I see that often, I was a prosecutor for a number of years, I saw that in court all the time. You would be happy to see a black judge in Lake County and that black judge would give a black person a higher sentence than they may give a white person because they want to show that they're not being favorable because they are black and the people are black. And so it's this self-hate that we have, you know, within ourselves along with racism from outside. And so those people in Indianapolis who don't want to see Gary succeed can come into Gary, find Black people who are in some kind of power and use them to fight against other Black people within the city. It's it's just, I don't even know where to begin. I have no idea where to begin. Like, where do you start? Do do the three of you, uh, well, our our group of representatives from Gary, do you you caucus, do you get together, do you... Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we Gordon Smith is the dean of that. I guess he's the dean of, of this group now because he's been there. Even when I was in high school, yeah. he was he was representing. So he's been there a long time. So we give Vernon um, all of the education. That's like whatever he feels like should be happening in those education bills. He gets that. Um, Earl does. Earl Harris does a lot of community kind of stuff. And then I'm kind of on the courts, the criminals, the criminal codes, um, uh, the, the judges, I'm kind of more on that side. And so even we all look to Vernon for direction because he's just been there. He knows the other legislators. Um, but at the same time, I think we've all kind of found our niche on what's important. And in Gary, what's more important than community, education, and criminal code. So that's kind of what we focus on. Well, the voice you just heard, if you just tuned in to bring it on, uh, we're speaking with State Representative Reagan Hatcher, uh, who's a Democrat from Gary, Indiana. She's joining us uh, as we sort of uh, acknowledge and recognize Gary's inaugural Richard Gordon Hatcher Day. Uh, and this was a day that was uh, selected to replace Columbus Day in the city of Gary. She's sharing reflections on her father's life as a politician, as a father, and as a husband, and of course, providing great insight as to the motivations which uh, motivated him as well as her to seek elected office. Um, he, during turbulent times in America, and 
gee, I guess during turbulent times in Indiana. So <laughs> it feels turbulent. <laughs> but yeah, there's still still this turbulence. Um, I want to I want to name three people as we sort of transition towards our final uh, third of this uh, interview. Okay. Uh, three individuals: Katie Hall mm-hmm. and Karen Freeman Wilson. Yeah, and Barack Obama. Okay. So so let's start with Katie Hall. Your thoughts, impressions. Well, so Kate, uh, you know, Representative Hall, you know, Congresswoman Hall, whatever, count, uh, City Clerk Hall, she was so many things. But that was one of the things that I think I'm most proud of Dad about because when Dad was um, mayor, the congressman died. The congressman in the seat for Gary died. Adam and Benjamin Jr. Adam Benjamin, which our transportation center is named after today. He passed away. And at that time, there was this really weird thing in the law that said that the mayor of the largest city of that area that that congressperson represented could appoint the replacement. And so dad, you know, thought about Katie Hall. You know, he, she had been very integral in his campaigns and elections. She was a school teacher from Mount Bayou. Mississippi. Mississippi, Mississippi. I almost said Tennessee, but it's Mississippi. And uh, she had come to Gary kind of in that way, the same way my mom got here. At that time, Gary was the best school district in the country. Um, They were paying the highest salaries for teachers. And so all these people kind of came to Gary. They had the black mayor. So everybody was coming to Gary from all these different areas. And she was a teacher. And so in the middle of the night, they did whatever it was they had to do. Jim Holland, who was dad's deputy mayor for the entire 20 years, took whatever he had to take. He was at the state house in Indianapolis that morning to name her as the replacement uh, for Congress. And that's how she became Congresswoman Katie Hall. And during her short tenure as Congresswoman, she was the one who got the Martin Luther King Day passed as a national holiday under Ronald Reagan. And so um, just that one move, you know, he had already kind of changed history, but that one move naming her, she was the first black congresswoman uh, from the state of Indiana, and uh, she got the Martin Luther King Day pass. So it was pretty amazing. And she went on to do um, great things, and uh, she had some trouble there at the end, but um, she was a good person. Well, Karen Freeman Wilson. So Karen, so dad, so here's another dad story. So Karen um, was whoever the attorney general was, something happened. And I don't know the the details, but dad got Karen. Karen was a Harvard law grad, you know, very successful in that way. And dad got Karen basically appointed to ride out the term of the Indiana attorney general. She was the first black woman attorney general in the state of Indiana. And he kind of got her there. And then of course she became the first black woman mayor in a city in Indiana. Of course, uh, a man who paid more visit more visits to Gary Roosevelt during the primary of his presidential run, <laughs> to screaming crowds and full capacity uh, 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 seats, Barack Obama. So Barack Obama was uh, this just guy in Chicago that uh, Reverend Jackson knew, and I remember I went over one time before Dad even knew he was. I went over and he was out shaking hands trying to be Senator, State Senator Obama in Chicago. And I was over there. And so we met him and, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, your dad, your dad, your dad. And say, yeah. So it was so funny because when he 
won or he was over when he won and he some for some reason he was back in Gary and he saw dad and he just said he he kind of pushed through the crowd and he just said he hugged him he said I'm standing on your shoulders I don't know how else I can thank you but to say I'm here because of you and so it was just you know it's been awesome it's just and I was the oldest so Rachel and Renee missed out on a lot but I got to see a lot so it was great it was great it's uh I find it interesting how you, you you describe your dad as being old school um and yes. and political strategies you and your sisters were a little bit more yeah. current my father describes your father as politically confrontational in your face don't back <laughs> down don't take no mess that's how he remembers that's how he remembers of course my father's deceased now too but that's how he used to always describe your dad as fair yeah and look, dad didn't take any mess from any. I remember they would say, like, they would go down to the state house and it's like they knew they were coming. Like, it was, uh, it was a whole thing. He would go to US Steel. It was, he was confrontational, but as an advocate for the city right, of Gary, right. he wasn't going to let them treat us like anything. And if they want to leave and take their stuff with them, then we needed to figure out how we could have it here. I remember. I didn't go to Merrillville or the mall until I was probably in my twenties because it wow. was just it was unallowed. You were you were not to support the people who advocated for the downfall of our community and the people in our community. And so he was he was like that. But all of it always went back to Gary and what was you know right to do for Gary. And so I know, you know, he kind of got this reputation as being kind of, um, you know, too aggressive or too um, uh, pro-Gary, but that was what he was there for. He said he was there to fight for us and whoever got mad at him because of it, uh, you know, that was kind of their problem, (laughs) their problem. And even today, I think where we've gone wrong in a lot of ways is that we try to get along to get something when it's, it's almost, it was better his way to say, no, we're not going to take what you're trying to give us because we deserve this or we deserve more. So yeah, he was a bit aggressive. I think we picked that up. Probably in the bad ways though. (laughs) Not the good ways like dad had it, probably in the bad ways. You've been so kind uh, to be with us today. I know that you have events later on um, today in recognition to your father. Uh, I I did want to sort of compare and contrast the leadership styles of um, some of his uh, contemporaries when he was mayor. And one is uh, Mayor Pastrick from East Chicago, uh, who was sort of viewed as, I guess, I don't know, some call him the dean yeah. Of uh, mayoral politics, uh, if people can see the facial expression, <laughs> <laughs> because I remember hearing Patrick's stories, you know, as, yeah. as we grew up, and a different style, <laughs> different style for sure. And they kind of, um, East Chicago was kind of seen as this. The only word that comes to me is mob, and I hate to use that word or organize crime and politics and um you know that's what I always remember when we talked about East Chicago that's the kind of thing that we talked about and you know later Patrick had some issues um and and kind of got in a little bit of trouble because of it but um East Chicago today of course under Mayor Copeland 
uh, and Hammond under Mayor McDermott, uh, you know, we are very proud to be part of the three city region uh, that we have. But back then it was a little different. It was, it was a little different, uh, different because, okay, you need to talk generations uh, leading up to when your dad and even Patrick became mayor. Uh, there was some unwritten, unspoken codes of conduct that went on. And a lot of that sort of floated over from, from the Chicago from area. Chicago, I mean, absolutely. You know, let's, be, let's be real about this. Um, <laughs> and as, as multi-ethnic as Northwest Indiana is, it really is this melting pot of different cultures. You talk about, uh, we have festivals in Bloomington. You, you've not experienced a festival until you have the, the German festivals, uh, the the Mexican the Greek, uh, uh, celebrations, the Greek festivals. The Greek festivals. Yeah. But yet, these are communities that uh, that sometimes bring with them some of the old world ways of, of dealing with exactly. issues. And in Chicago, uh, when I had the chance, I worked with uh, the former Congresswoman Katie Hall. Um, uh-huh. And there were times I had to go over, and I remember this, this one infamous time when all I wanted to do was just meet with a couple of people who snuck out, I won't even name their names, but they <laughs> snuck out the back and they were there in the front when we asked the reception. So we left and as we looked in the alley, they were scooting towards the car. And so <laughs> to me, you know, and this just, this is, was the way things were done. Now, you know, on the other side, a lot of phenomenal things, you know, when the steel industry was booming, these areas really, really did boom. And they mm-hmm. were, people I knew were, were working there. Um, out of high school, they were working there. People had new cars every other year. Oh, yeah. Kids were going off to college. Everything was just wonderful. But then the, the floor fell out. And then all of a sudden, foreign steel became this attractive thing. Now right. we're finding out it's not as, we're not getting the deal of a century. Mm-hmm. Um, any ideas of what it may take in, in the few final moments you have to kind of turn that economy, that community around, all those three communities even? It's going to be a collaborative effort. It has to be. Yeah. But, but what do you think needs to occur? I think um, one of the things that we have lost sight of is working with those other two communities. McDermott, Copeland, and Hammond in East Chicago, they have kind of gotten um, uh, into this groove of how local politics or how a city should be run. Now, we got a lot of differences in Gary. Gary is 52 or 53 square miles where Hammond and, and East Chicago are a fraction of that. So they don't have the landmass that we have with the number of people that we have. So that's a challenge. Uh, one of our other challenges, of course, is our education system. From the legislation that created charter schools in the state of Indiana, we saw a huge decline in our education system in Gary because of the money and the way that the money was distributed after that. Also, we always have had this crime issue. And because of the crime, the education system, we can't, we don't attract middle-class families to the community like we should be able to because of all the wonderful things that are in Gary. And so I think it's a three-prong approach. We have to not only deal with the crime, but we have to deal with the education system and we have to figure out how to work within the region. And it's funny because living up here, I never heard anybody call this area the region. I, the first time right, I- that too. <laughs> When I got down there, and they're like, oh, you're from the region. I'm like, I'm from uh, Gary. And they're like, no, that's the region. So, um, but it's a, it's got to be a group effort. And I think so for so long, the mayors have worked. You know, we have a black mayor in East Chicago. We have McDermott, who's a white guy in Hammond, but he is a very progressive kind of white guy. And so I 
it takes an effort of all three communities coming together to make that work and happen. You know, for the longest time, it was dependence on the uh, the steel economy mm-hmm. it powered that whole region, regional area. But yeah. then the other thing that people need to keep in mind, we have natural amenities. We have Dunes National Lakeshore. We have I-94, which is an excellent, um, you know, this transportation corridor. We have an yeah. airport up there. We have the lake itself. So we have and so much more. It's yeah. it's can we capitalize on these things the way places like perhaps Chicago and others have? Uh, yeah, you know the tourism, all the other things that go into that. You know, and in the final moments we have, any any thoughts as you uh, sort of give your platform for reelection? What do you think we should do? <laughs> Well, um, you know, for Gary, you're right. Uh, we have everything. We have the beach and the casino, you know, the, the, the new casino on 8094, but we have this motorway that goes, we are literally the crossroad of America. Like there's no high, more higher traveled expressway or through different um, states than here in Gary. And so we have all these things. We have the dunes and all that kind of stuff, but we also just have opportunity for a really strong economy because of the steel mills decline and because of the the uh it's not the biggest employer in the city of gary anymore most people drive into the steel mill where it didn't used to be like that they used to actually live in this city and um they were able to raise their families and send their kids to college off of that that's i think what we're looking for what is the next big economy in the city of gary I think it's closely related and going to be related in some kind of way to the airport. I'm not quite sure how, um, but I feel like the airport is going to be the driving force behind Gary's new economy. Uh, So there are, we have it all. We're not missing anything. It's who is going to be the next mayor that's going to see that vision or have the vision to be able to pull it all together and make it work. And you know, we had um, a couple good mayors since dad. I think we probably need to start looking now for the next election so we can get that mayor in that's going to have that vision for the community. You know, you, you spoke about the airport and for a while, it, everybody's holding their breath that Gary's going to be that sort of um, oh, that that uh, supplemental airport to the Chicago airports and yeah. way in O'Hare. We thought we were going to get there. And but a lot of kinda... issues came with that because of the runway. Um, the runway has since been expanded. When they okay. were that third airport, we weren't prepared. We didn't have the expanded runway that we needed to land those large jets. But since that time, it has been expanded. And so I think we're, we're in position. Um, and I think we're waiting or waiting to see when that next boom is going to be when it's necessary so we can kind of slide into place. And I know there's one thing that William has just been dying to see happen up there, and I know he's been having sleepless nights. But the, what? But the, but the what Michael, have you been dying to see William? The, the Michael Jackson Museum up there. I mean, he just wants to see what's going to happen with that. Like, isn't that like that? Seems like the most obvious step in you know, Gary. Like, why haven't we picked this house up and moved it to a prominent place so people can come visit? Every time I have family come in. My mom's family's from Missouri. Every time we have people come in, they always want to go see this house. And, you know, we're just like, oh, it's the Michael Jackson house. But for people around the world, if we just put that house in a prominent position and kind of built around it, it would be awesome. So, well, 
Well, well, William, one day you'll get your dream, your dream will come true. I hope so. Um, and in the final moments we have, uh, Reagan, we, and William spoke to this, we like to get you back here, but I'd like to also get your sisters back here with you, uh, Rachel oh. and Renee. And uh, just, well, we would be quiet and let you all tell the stories that, of course, you have they told all, all today. But uh, we want to thank you, though, for taking time out of a busy, busy day. And I know that your day is just now beginning. I mean, well, yeah. it's already begun hours ago, but you're going to continue on. Uh, we want to thank State Representative Reagan Hatcher, Democrat from Gary, Indiana, for joining us on Gary's inaugural Richard Gordon Hatcher Day. To share reflections on her father's life as a politician, as a father and a husband, and some insights to what his motivations were for seeking elected office, and also her motivations uh, during times uh, that have been challenging in America. Bring it on has for having me. Thank you. I'm most sorry. welcome. Bring it on has an open submission policy. So if you have any ideas for this program, we would love to hear what they are. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to sh- make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, is bring it on at wfhb.org. And support for WFHB comes from listeners like you and Community Voices for Health in Monroe County, who invite you to participate in Your Voices, Our Future, Transforming Community Health Decision Making via Zoom call on Thursday, October 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This will be an evening of discussion and deliberation about health issues, ideas, and solutions among community members and decision makers in Monroe County. Registration information is available through eventbrite.com by searching for Community Voices Monroe County. And also, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar event that you've heard, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is that gentleman you were just listening to. Assistant producer is yours truly. Our consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Original theme music created by Jamil Effian with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.